This is the Huddle. This is our This is what we do. Every Thursday from noon to 2. Presented by Bickford Ford. Let's go! The Huddle. Welcome into the Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. Getting you guys ready for the Seahawks regular season finale. Man, it's been a long season, but an exciting season for Seattle. Um, it's going to be against the San Francisco. Is it already? Yeah, I know. Man. Here we are. It's going to be against the San Francisco 49ers. First game of 2021 also. Um, now, don't underestimate this six-win team. We're going to start a preview when John Boyle joins us in about 15 minutes before we get to any of that. We're going to look back at Sunday's win over the L.A. Rams. Jake keeps here with me. Dave Wyman joining us in just one moment. Jake. That game clinched the division for Seattle for the first time since 2016. Two big things I took away from it. Number one, loved the defensive performance. The goal line stop, especially on fourth down, Jordan Brooks's play there, my favorite moment of the game. Two, a much better second half for the offense, and let's start right there. Did you see everything you needed to see from them in the second half, and what adjustments do you feel they made that helped the most? Yeah, I did. I, I... Loved everything that I saw in the second half. And and look, the first half, I mean, when you talk about this, this was a classic NFC West heavyweight fight. And it was going to be an absolute battle. And when you looked at the way that this game was going to unfold, this was going to be the ultimate test for this defense versus a Rams offense and Sean McVay, who have had tremendous success traditionally versus Pete Carroll and this defense. And this this Seahawks defense, who everyone was wondering, is this defensive turn legit? They put on full display how good this defense really can be and where they are at currently. And it's, it's very, very exciting. So you get into the 6-6 uh, first half, back and forth, great defense. Uh, it missed some missed opportunities by by the offense and Russell Wilson in the first half. And so it makes you nervous. It makes you wonder. But just like with Aaron Andrews and what she said coming out of halftime, mm-hmm. that Sean McVay was upset, and, and I'm putting my own words into this, is that from Aaron Andrews' conversation, seemed and felt rattled by what happened in the first half. But her conversation with Pete Carroll couldn't be any more different. He was 6'6", six, <laughs> six, let's Pete go. Carroll, classic we are, fashion. We, we are we are ready to go. We are loving what we're seeing right now, and we're ready to go in the second half. And that's exactly how they played. They continue to play great, solid defense. But right from the get go, Russell Wilson and this offense set the tone for the rest of the second half, coming out with that huge, huge first ha- first uh, series drive for a touchdown. And Russell Wilson, you know, heavily featured in that, throwing that that beautiful pass on the run on third down to David Moore to spark their offense, and they didn't look back from that moment, Stacey. And encouraging because they may not face uh, a tougher defense than the Rams. The Rams, the league's number one overall defense, and I know that that's in yards given up in both the pass and the run, so maybe that's not always the best stat, but to the eyes, when you watch them on tape, they are a dominant dominant unit and the Seahawks come out with the win there let's take a look at the Seahawks defense because this wasn't just I believe their fifth game holding an opponent to 17 or fewer points Um, they also did it against what's been the best ranked offense so far one of the biggest critiques of this unit the Seahawks defense is that yeah the turnaround has been fantastic but who have they played Sam Darnold Carson Wentz at his worst Um, and I mean you lost to Colt McCoy and the Giants and so they've still faced questions from critics 
whether or not that's fair, they went out and played a good offense. And, and now people are kind of saying, well, maybe they weren't so good. But, Jake, I thought that was a phenomenal performance against a unit that can be really, really good when they're going. Oh, no question. No question. And that was part of the thing I had a really hard time with was the revisionist history of this game. The revisionist history of the Rams and, oh, this Rams offense really isn't that good. Jared Goff isn't that good. He hasn't been at times during this season. This offense for the Rams certainly has been inconsistent. But this game had everything to do with what the Seattle Seahawks did to the Rams and forcing the issue to make Jared Goff look more, you know, look mortal uh, compared to the past um, other, you know, seven, eight matchups that they have had against the Rams before where Goff has been very successful versus the Seahawks group. Um, and so I, I think that overall what the defense was able to do, they were stout in the run game. They were able to uh, prevent the play-action bootleg game from being successful, getting out on the perimeter. That's really the safety blanket. When you talk about Russell Wilson's safety blanket being Tyler Lockett, for Sean McVay and Jared Goff, it's those naked play-action bootlegs and getting those completions out on the edge that – is the safety blanket for them. And when that gets going, they feel really confident. And that offense can start getting into a lot of their up-tempo stuff. And the Seahawks defense being able to eliminate that altogether, uh, for the most part, was extremely impressive to me. It showed their preparation. It showed uh, their ability to identify the greatest strength and take away and take it away. That's what great defenses do. And eliminating it when it mattered most. Here's that goal line stand. Fourth down and goal from inside the one. Malcolm Brown, the single setback. Golf under center. Turns hands to Brown. He gets hit. He doesn't get in. The defense stops him again. On a fourth down from the one-foot line, the Seahawks defense stops Malcolm Brown, who goes to the right side of the Rams offense. Nothing doing. The Seahawks get the ball back. Granted on their own goal line. But what a stop by the Seahawks D. Jake, this is when the defense starts to be fun because Bobby Wagner, an important player, a star we all know. K.J. Wright, an important player, a star we all know who is in on there. But you know who else was in on there with a tackle uh, or an assist on three or four plays? It was rookie linebacker Jordan Brooks. This is when you start to see, usually in Pete Carroll teams, those young guys start to come to life, start getting their feet underneath them despite no offseason this year. Finally, you're seeing Alton Robinson getting in there. You're seeing Jordan Brooks being a huge part of this game. And this is what gives you faith that they can continue this growth. Is it going to be difficult if you're facing Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau? Yeah, it's Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau. But what you've seen from this defense is important, and it's just as important that some of that progress has come from your young core. Uh, no question. No question. And that probably is the most exciting aspect of it all, Stacey, is who is stepping up. Because obviously you know and can expect that Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, uh, Jaron Reed, a lot of these guys are going to step up to the challenge, Quandre Diggs, um, but you're seeing Jamal Adams really come to life. You're seeing Jordan Brooks come to life. You're seeing Alton Robinson. You're seeing you know these new additions to your team really come to life now, which is allowing this defense to play the high level, allowing them, Stacey, it, when Pete Carroll's own words, that they can play a style of defense that keeps things simple. They can get back to their base stuff and what they're uh what they feel at most home. 
And what that allows them to do is that if there's anything that they have to adjust during the game, they all can speak the same language and they all can understand and react and change things on the fly and do it immediately out on the field. That is such a that's such a uh, a blessing for this team at this stage of the game as they're about to head into the playoffs. Now, speaking of heading into the playoffs, you've still got one more regular season game. Normally for the huddle, we always open up with looking back at last week's win. But given that this is the regular season finale coming up, let's take a look back at the last several games. Jake, what is one thing that you want to see just one last shot in this final regular season game? For me, I mean... There's there's plenty I want to have a chance to see, but I would love a big game from Tyler Lockett. DK Metcalf, I have no doubt that he's going to continue to excel, not just in the postseason, but in the future for this team. I'd love to see Tyler Lockett have a breakout performance. Get another 100-yard game in there. Uh, yes. <laughs> the answer is <laughs> I mean, when, yes. Yes, yes. I, I mean, when you talk about this offense, it has, to me been one of the interesting things to watch in terms of this fan base, how they have reacted to what has transpired over the last six games. And people have been nervous about this offense, the way it's looked, how Russell Wilson has looked. Uh, but I, I think it's been more of a – there couldn't be a more hyperbolic conversation going on that this offense, that Russell Wilson is broken, Stacy. But it, for people to feel better about this offense, they they do want to see – the explosive plays again. They want to see more of it. They want to see it happen on a consistent basis. They want to see DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett catching those, you know, big passes down the field. But what has impressed me the most is, is the fact that they've been able to do it despite not having that, despite not being able to lean on that almost almost as a crutch, Stacey, that they have had to find a way to earn it against some of the best defenses in the league. And now when you head into the playoffs, you have everything available. The explosive pass plays have not gone away. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are two of the most explosive receivers in the game, coupled with Russell Wilson, who is one of the who is the best deep ball thrower in the game. It will come. Now, uh, we're going to take a look at the 49ers stepping across enemy lines at 1230 with ESPN 49ers reporter Nick Wagner. Before, though, we're going to take a look at our own guys with one of our own guys, Seahawks.com reporter John Boyle. That's next. This is The Huddle, presented by Bickford Ford, every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to The Huddle. We're going to be having Alton Robinson joining us, a Pete Carroll press conference coming up, a step across enemy lines for a 49ers preview. Before we do any of that, we've got Seahawks.com reporter John Boyle. Hello, John. How are you? Hi, Stacy. How are you? I'm good. You know, John, first question I have is maybe the most obvious one. I'm not going to injuries this time. I know that's my go-to. Instead... I got um, nothing for you anyway. <laughs> I know. It's a little early still. Instead, um, I, I'd like to know the latest from Pete Carroll on, on whether or not he's going to rest players. I, I have a solid guess, and I know he's he's been against it, but, but are you expecting to see all the starters full starting lineup out there week 17? Yeah, I mean, if guys are healthy enough to play, I think we're going to see everybody. As Pete Carroll said Monday, he said, we're going for it. And, I mean, it's not necessarily likely, but they do have a chance to improve on their seed. If you get a little help, they could, you know, the the one seed is obviously the ultimate goal to get that by. But even if you somehow move up to the two seed, if, if Green Bay lost to the Bears, that could help you out, you know, get a second home game. Or if you get some help in the divisional round and the one seed loses, then maybe you're in position to move up and host the championship game that way. So, yeah, I mean, 
for one, there's just keeping alive that chance. And also what Pete Carroll talked about is just kind of keeping the momentum going, keeping the continuity going of how well they're playing, how well that defense is clicking. You don't really want to mess with that right now. John, I got two important questions for you. First, how are you holding up a, a new baby? Is that time where they're they're starting to wake up more often during the <laughs> night? How are you holding up, John? Well, I'm holding up well enough that I completely missed the huddle last week because it was on a Wednesday, <laughs> and I my kids were being so crazy. I'll I, never I had forget to separate it. the five the five and three year old were trying to kill each other, oh, so I had no. to separate them and take one for a walk, and I just totally forgot that we moved the huddle a day and I apologize to you all for, for missing it last week, but yeah, we're, we're holding up pretty good. And, you know, the, the baby is uh, about six weeks old now and Aww. she's sleeps about like a six week old baby does, but we're, we're hanging in there. It's mm-hmm. a good time. Good, good. It's always, uh, always fun times. I, I, I know. Uh, so John, in regards to, in regards to what you saw for the Seahawks, NFC West champs, how good does it feel for this team to be able to say that after everything that they've gone through? Yeah, I mean, it's winning the division is great in year, but when you look into, I mean, for starters, just how good the division is. I mean, it's been the talk all year of, you know, best division in football probably. And, I mean, granted, the 49ers had just a brutal year injury-wise, but they were the defending NFC champs, and you've got Arizona and L.A. both still in playoff contention this week. So four really good teams in this division. So, that alone is an accomplishment, but then dealing with all the COVID stuff and just everything else going on in the world for them to be able to, you know, put together a really strong season and win a great division. It's, it's a big, big accomplishment for Pete Carroll and this team. John, the 49ers have had a weird season, a really unfortunate season with injuries. I, I am both curious to know what the division would have looked like with them healthy and also kind of glad that the Seahawks got a chance uh, to <laughs> snag it this year. So when you're looking at this team heading into Week 17, uh, what kind of game are you expecting for Seattle? I mean, I think it'll be similar to what we saw from the 49ers in, in Arizona last week in that Arizona had everything to play for last week. The 49ers were eliminated, and the 49ers still came out and put up a really good fight. Um, but they're really beat up, as they have been pretty much all year. The Seahawks are definitely the more talented team when you talk about who's available, and they, they should be the better team this weekend. But I don't think for a second you can take this game lightly and think the 49ers are just going to lay down there. They showed last week they're still fighting, even though it's kind of been a lost season for them. Yeah, and that's been honestly the most impressive thing to me, John, is is you watch that 49er team, 6-9, and nine, all these injuries, they're still fighting, they're still clawing, uh, and you know that they would love nothing more than to knock off the Seahawks and, and uh, to be able to end their season on somewhat of an emotional high note after everything that they've been through. And that comes to my next point in terms of resting starters. Pete Carroll has been so adamant at least in, on Monday with the, with the media saying that we don't want to change anything. We don't want to change our preparation. We don't want to change our mindset. How important is that for Pete Carroll to mentally just stay dialed in, just locked in and keeping everybody doing the same and not looking at everything else? Yeah, I think, I, I think to him that the value of keeping that momentum is really important. And again, especially when we talk about what this defense is doing, just how in sync that unit is playing together. And you know, you're going to start to see a lot better offenses and better quarterbacks when you get into this postseason, especially if you can advance, you know, the divisional round or the championship game. So, yeah, you know, look, if, if the Seahawks get up big or if they're looking around the league and those other games are blowouts, I wouldn't put it past them to maybe rest some guys in the second half. The one example I think of, I believe, is 2016 when they last won the division and were down in San Francisco, built a lead, pulled their starters, and then 
the Niners actually made a comeback, didn't quite pull off the game, but they did make it interesting. And that was about the last time I think I remember the Seahawks ever doing that. So that wouldn't shock me if, you know, let's say the Seahawks build a 20 point lead, maybe you start resting some guys. But yeah, the, the mentality going into this game is full go. You need to win this game and keep alive your hopes to improve your seating and also just keep keep guys sharp and playing well. I know the receivers are uh, for San Francisco aren't going to be fully healthy. Uh, their leading receiver, Brandon Ayuk, is out. But catch me up on the Seahawks' cornerback situation. Obviously, you've got Shaquille starting there. Is Trey Flowers going to be back yet this week, or are we going to see DJ Reed again? Pete Carroll said that Trey Flowers was planning on being back this week. They're, they want to practice him full go, and... I think he's going to be back in terms of on the roster and activated and available. I don't know that we'll necessarily see him back in a starting role. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know how you take DJ Reed off the field right now. He's playing so well. He's making a ton of plays. His coverage is great. Um, and then, you know, even in terms of if, if Flowers is going to be the player who eventually wins that job back, he might not be quite ready to be playing every snap right away. He might need to knock a little rust off. So, it's a good problem either way. I mean, you just your depth is that much better having another starting caliber player out there. But yeah, I, I don't know how you take DJ Reed off the field right now. I really don't. Speaking of depth getting better, it's been it was really impressive to watch Cedric Aboyhe over the last two weeks really fill in nicely for Brandon Shell. In terms of feeling like maybe you need to bring Brandon Shell back into the fold, how do you think that Pete Carroll is going to deal with that situation? after watching Cedric Aboyhe play the, the past two weeks against a, a pretty pretty good group of pass rushers uh, the, yeah. the, in Washington and the Rams. Yeah, you go back to his first start for Shell, it was a little rough for Aboyhe and people were worried about it. And then he, he bounced back and he, he really played great in the last couple of games. And this is where, you know, when you talk about resting guys, they're not like, I don't think you rest a, a healthy Russell Wilson just to rust a guy. But if if you're talking about Brandon Shell not being all the way right and kind of the deal last week, he was active, but they didn't want to have to use him because they're afraid he could aggravate that injury a second time. That's where maybe it makes some sense. If a guy's not a hundred percent and you can give him that chance to get healthier, I don't think you rest the guy just to rest him. But yeah, if, if Shell's not a hundred percent and are close enough to it, that you have really no concerns about what the effects of playing Sunday will do for him the next week, then sure. Let, let him have the day off. Boy, he played plenty well and, and let and roll with him again. Last question here, John. I need to know if you agree with me on this one. I, I know I'm being a little biased, but I feel like people are doing some revisionist history on the Seahawks' last game. The biggest critique about the defensive turnaround from the outside has been, well, they haven't played great offenses. But the Rams are a pretty solid offense. I mean, they're inconsistent, but they've got playmakers, and a lot of those guys were out there. Um, do you think the defense deserves more credit than they're getting? I do. I mean, I think they're starting to get a lot of the credit they deserve, but that has been sort of the one thing people have held against them is, yeah, you've done it against bad teams but or bad offenses. But if you look at, you know, the performance of team, I mean, even the Jets, they've been scoring on everybody except the Seahawks over this stretch of even going into the game with Seahawks, they'd scored 27 or more in three of their last four games, and then they've won two cents. And to your point, the Rams, I mean, statistically, they're not great on offense this year, but they've got playmakers, as you said, and that's an offense in particular that has always given the Seahawks headaches ever since Sean McVay got there. So even if they're not lighting up the rest of the league for the Seahawks in particular to contain that defense or that offense is a really good sign. He is Seahawks.com reporter John Boyle. Go read his stuff at Seahawks.com. Thanks, John. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right, you guys, we're taking a step across enemy lines. We're going to figure out everything we need to know about this 49ers team, including who we may not see on Sunday. That's next with ESPN reporter Nick Wagner. 
This is The Huddle, presented by Bickford Ford. Every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into The Huddle. No Dave Wyman today. Don't worry. He'll be on for Wyman and Bob, and he'll join us next week for The Huddle. Just Jake Heaps and myself, Stacey Ross, taking a look across enemy lines with ESPN's Nick Wagner. Nick, how are you? I'm doing well, Stacey. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Now, you guys have had a really rough go of it with, with injuries this year. That doesn't need to be said. But what key players could be missing this Sunday? Uh, I could probably run down a list of key players that will be available. It'll be a little quicker. Uh, <laughs> the, way, the way things have gone for the 49ers. But, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, putting aside the guys that we already know are out that have been on injured reserve, there's a lengthy list of guys. Uh, one, obviously, that rings out there in Seattle, Richard Sherman, mm-hmm. is not going to be available. Uh, defensive tackle Javon Kinlaw missed practice today. They're still kind of hoping that he'll be ready to go Sunday, but we'll, we'll kind of have to wait and see on that. But Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, their two top receivers, also ruled out. Uh, Raheem Mostert, I could go down the list, but uh, at this point, they're, they're really kind of trotting out uh, more of a preseason type of a lineup at this point overall than, than what you would normally see at this time of year. Now, Nick, in regards to Richard Sherman and in his injury, this this will most likely be the last game that he could have played in as potentially a 49er. Is that still the the thought process down there uh, in San Francisco that this could be Richard Sherman's last game as a 49er? Yeah, what's, what's interesting, guys, is you know when you, when you talk to Richard Sherman now, you, you get two versions of Richard Sherman. You get Richard Sherman, the player, and Richard Sherman, the agent, right? So so Richard Sherman, the agent, who represents Richard Sherman, the player, is actually the first person who kind of broached the subject of, hey, this is more than likely going to be my last year with the Niners. And a lot of that stems from the fact that their salary cap situation was already tight. The salary cap is going to drop this year. And they have... 40 guys who are scheduled for some form of free agency this year. So if you look at it in that context and you look at what Richard Sherman has traditionally demanded in a contract or commanded in a contract, it's hard to see how he's going to fit in for the future. Now, the flip side of that is John Lynch, the general manager for 49ers, is not closing that door. I think there's a scenario in which Richard Sherman is able to come back, but it would kind of depend on does his market drop, how many teams are interested in him and all those kinds of things. But I, I think as we sit here today on December 30th, chances are he's played his last game as a 49er, and I think then you start to wonder what's next for him because uh, the calf thing has been an issue all year. He had the Achilles a couple of years ago. Uh, he's 30. He's going to be 33 next year. You know, where does he fit in? What does he feel like he has left in the tank? And what does he have left to prove at this point? And then what are his offers? So there's a lot of things that go into it. I would say more than likely he's played his last game as a 49er. But I also am curious to see what is next for him because um, there's a lot of things that are going to play into that decision. Now, are we also all assuming that Robert Sala has, is maybe going to be coaching his final game as defensive coordinator and that he's out of here, or, or is that still up in the air? Yeah, that's a good question too, Stacey. And I think, yeah, I think the 49ers are in a situation now where they're kind of preparing for that reality to, to take place. And, you know, Robert Sala was in a position last year where he was the hot coordinator because he coached one of the best defenses in the league. And the 49ers went to the Super Bowl, and they had all those things. But you know how that is. It usually is kind of takes a year for, for a guy who bursts onto the scene to become a, a true candidate. So last year was kind of his chance to get some interviews under his belt. He did very nearly end up getting that Cleveland Browns job, but uh, some of the timing and things with him still having to coach through the Super Bowl, I think, kind of worked against him in that case. So 
I think what you're going to see this year is I think you're going to have multiple teams that are that are very interested in Salah. The Detroit Lions, obviously, he's a Michigan native. There's a lot of ties there. The Michigan State Legislature is drawing up bills trying to get Robert Salah to be the head coach of the Lions. So uh, I don't know if that matters, but if it does, that certainly doesn't hurt anything. Uh, and and then I also think there's a lot of ties to the, to the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Houston Texans. So if that Jaguars job comes open, I think a lot of us are expecting it to. Uh, that's a situation that could be very appealing for him, just going into a situation where he could kind of do what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch did in San Francisco, where they had a ton of cap space, they had a really high draft pick. In Salah's case, potentially Trevor, not potentially, let's be honest, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence as the quarterback <laughs> there in Jacksonville. So there's a lot of things that, that, that make those different jobs appealing. But, yeah, I would be very surprised if Salah doesn't get hired during this cycle. Mm. Uh, Nick, uh, when you talk about Robert Sala and this defense – and how they've played. You talked about all the list of injuries that they have gone through. I watched the film on these guys, and I could not be more impressed with this group in yeah. terms of they're a 6-9 and nine team that doesn't know they're a 6-9 team, doesn't know that they should be <laughs> playing hard. They play their tails off, and Fred Warner is obviously the headliner there for that defense, but um, how is this group mentally, how is Fred Warner as a leader how have they mentally been able to get through all this and still game in and game out uh, play as hard as they have and be a top five defense? Yeah, Jake, it's a great point. And, and I think it is a tribute, first of all, to Sala. Because uh, the one thing about Robert Sala that I find very interesting, and people in Seattle will understand this when I talk about it, is you know everyone views him as he's a Pete Carroll disciple. So he runs cover three, and he lets his front four pass rush, and he kind of keeps his hands off, right? Like he doesn't do anything else. You know, that's – that's kind of the recognition yeah. that, that I think people people give him, and, and he does do that. That's the foundation of what they do. But the thing that he's done this year, if you watch the tape, and he did it, he started doing it last year too, is he has a really good knack for kind of adapting to his circumstances and adapting to the talent that he has available to him. And if you look at their pass rush from last year to this year, it's night and day. They were able to rush just those front four and do all kinds of different things in coverage last year and get pressure consistently, and that's why they were so dominant. But this year you take away Nick Bosa, you take away DeForest Buckner, you take away D. Ford. They've had injury, other injuries all over that defensive line, Solomon Thomas, guys that have missed almost the entire year, and they haven't been able to get that pressure with the front four. So then it puts Sal in a bind of, okay, how often do I have to blitz? When do I blitz? Uh, how can I mix and match coverages? What do I need to do in terms of coverage? Do I have to play more man? Which if you play, if you blitz more, of course you do. So, He's done a really, really good job of kind of getting a feel for that as the season goes on. And I think there was a spot there in the middle of the season where, you know, he was still kind of trying to find out what those answers are. But having a stud like Fred Warner in the middle of it has stabilized everything and certainly helps him because he, he's really good pre-snap at making checks and doing all the things that you ask your middle linebacker to do. But honestly, I really think a lot of that credit goes to Robert Sala. And I would even go as far as to say this, and maybe this sounds crazy since they were 13-3 and last year and went to the Super Bowl and they're 6-9 and this year. I could argue that Robert Sala has done a, his best coaching job this season than even what he did last year. Yeah, I think I might agree with you on that one. I'm going to switch gears and, and just look at the offense because last time these two teams faced off, the 49ers, I don't think, had Jeff Wilson. He had a great game last week. Um, Seahawks' run defense has been pretty stout. Who do you personally favor in that matchup? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think right now, you know, Jeff Wilson is, is, their, is their best back available, and he's kind of proved himself as the guy who should be in that top two, uh, when Raheem Moster is back next year, I think the Niners are going to have to maybe make some tweaks at that position. But, yeah, the Seahawks defense, as you guys know, is, is playing really well right now. And, and it couldn't come at a better time because the offense is struggling. But also, you know, you're going into the postseason where, where defense really travels and gives you a chance 
every time out there. I, I just tend to think overall, guys, that the, the Seahawks are just in a, in a better position. Uh, obviously, they are in, in general than the 49ers right now. But I think particularly going into this game, just based on the injuries, the fact that the Seahawks still do have something to play for. I know it's a long shot, but that number one seed is still out there. Maybe they get the two seed. You know, there's a, there's a few things that could play out that way for them. So, I, particularly in that in that matchup, I would favor the Seahawks. But I, I kind of do overall, although I do think the Niners, they're so prideful. They have a chance to be the only team that finishes with a winning record within the NFC West, which is crazy, uh, considering how difficult the division is. But if, they, if they're able to beat the Seahawks, they'd be 4-2 and two in the division this year. So they've been really good in those kind of games when there's some familiarity there. And as we, as we all three know here, anytime these two teams get together, you know, you just kind of have to expect the unexpected. So I'm expecting a close game, but of course, I would lean towards the Seahawks in this one. All right. He is ESPN 49ers reporter Nick Wagner. Uh, you can follow him at N Wagner uh, on Twitter. You can also go read his stuff at ESPN. He's got a great piece on cornerback Jason Verrett up there, so go check that out. Thanks so much, Nick. Yeah, Stacey Jake, thank you. Happy New Year to you guys. You too. All right. Uh, now, every single week, we take a look at the trenches, go in the trenches, figure out what's going on with the offensive line, and take a look at the Seahawks offense in general. We'll do that next with Ray Roberts. This is the Huddle, presented by Bigfoot Ford, every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to the Huddle. No Dave Wyman today. He'll be in for Wyman and Bob, and he'll be back for the Huddle next week. Instead, you've got me, Stacey Ross, along with Jake Heaps. Joining us right now, it's the co-host of the Seahawks pre- and post-game show, former offensive lineman himself, Ray Roberts. Hi, Ray. Hey, how you guys doing? You guys have a good Christmas? I did. How about you? Oh, it was good. Just uh, nice and quiet and slow. Hung out with the kids, played a lot of video games. Those are the best so holidays. The stuff kids do. The low-key ones. <laughs> um, looking back at, at this game that happened over the holiday weekend against the Rams, uh, obviously Seahawks coming out the victor there, now sealed the division for the first time since 2016. All of that is exciting, but the first half was a little worrisome for a while there. What did they do so well on offense in the second half? Uh, I, th- I think they just seemed more committed to what they were trying to get done. In the first half, it seemed like, uh, you know, it just seemed like they were kind of choppy in their thinking, like not real sure if they wanted to, to run the ball between the tackles or if they wanted to throw, be patient and throw the shorter passes. Uh, but I think in the second half, they just were more committed to the game plan. And I think the offensive line, even though at the end of the day, um, they gave up, you know, more sacks than you want to give up, I think that they, they just performed better too, you know, and then finding, uh, the offense was patient in the passing game and, the, you know, Taking a lot of body blows and then and then taking you know strategic uh, shots down the field, I think that, that that all played into it. But then also, you know, you can't you can't uh, underestimate just the influence that the defenses play had on the offense. So you know, a lot of times we think of the team as these three separate parts, and one doesn't influence the other. But when you see the defense going out there and making stops and doing the things that they're doing, it can't help but inspire. The offense. So, like, if the you know the offensive linemen, the running backs, the receivers, you know, Russell is always going to be you know that guy that wants to uh, pull his weight and those kinds of things. So, I think in the second half they were just more committed to what they wanted to do on offense, and then I think they were also inspired by the play of the defense. Uh, Ray, how did uh, Jordan Simmons and Damian Damian Lewis do? Obviously, they had those two guys had the biggest challenge of the day uh, going up against Aaron Donald. How did they fare in this matchup? 
Well, I'm I'm gonna give you like a Pete Carroll quote, and you can and they battled. <laughs> <laughs> that is quintessential Carroll quote. I'll, I'll put it that way. I know when Pete says they battled, that's in classic battle. fashion. So, um, uh, so but no, nah, I mean for the most part, I mean he's Aaron Donald. To me, he's the best football player in, in all of football. For a guy that takes on double teams and sometimes triple teams, uh, and he still has now you know 13 or 14 sacks. Man, that's incredible to do. I thought, you know, the year Cortez Kennedy won the defensive MVP, uh, you know, playing a defensive tackle, that is really hard to do because you are always in the middle of all the traffic. you got to get through all of that in order to make plays. And Aaron Donald has proven that he can do that over an extended period of time, over multiple years. It doesn't matter what their record is or how many guys you put on him, he can do it. And so I think there were times where uh, you could see where the – each one of those, Simmons and Lewis, would have a couple positive plays, and then they get like a little, not overconfident, but like, okay, now I got it, and then he would give them something new that they hadn't seen. And uh, so I think they struggled a little bit in their one-on-one matchups, uh, but, you know, it's to, to be expected. If you're a rookie and uh, a part-time starter and you're playing against a, you know, an all-world you know, first ballot, maybe the best defensive tackle in the history of the game, uh, those those types of things are going to happen, but they made plays. So, like a lot of times, we don't think of offensive linemen as making plays, but they made plays when they had to make them. So when they needed to get the ball, you know, down the field to, to Demo, when they needed to run for a first down, when they needed to protect, you know, to to get the the, the touchdown to uh, to Hollister, like all those all those different things. Those are plays that the offensive line get to make. So when you do your job, it's just like a receiver catching a pass. He made the play. He called the pass. That's his job. So offensive linemen, in those crucial moments, they made plays, and they made enough to win the game. The Huddle is presented by Bickford Ford. You're listening to Jake Heaps and Stacey Ross. We're joined right now by Ray Roberts. Um, Ray, Jake and I were kind of surveying listeners uh, in, earlier, about an hour ago, and we were asking who is the most important player on offense outside of Russell Wilson. You couldn't cheat. You couldn't choose Russell Wilson. Quarterback's the easy answer. Um, the most popular answer wasn't Chris Carson. It wasn't DK. It wasn't Tyler Lockett. It was Dwayne Brown. Do you think he was snubbed for a Pro Bowl this year? Oh, absolutely. And like I said last week, um, you know, he went to Virginia Tech and I went to Virginia, so this, this is really hard for me to <laughs> say really good things about Hurts him. your soul. But, uh, but the dude is just, I mean, from the, the very first game he played here and he got into his stance, his two-point stance, and I just turned to NASA, who's our producer for our pregame, postgame show, and I said, that dude is a player. And he goes, he hasn't even run the play yet. I'm like, I can just tell by the way he got in his stance. Wow. Like, it's just like the dude just looked like a pro getting in his stance. And so that's how he's played since he's been here. I think last year he was a little nicked up, so there's a, a stretch of games where it seemed like he wasn't playing as well. But this year, man, he has locked down anybody they've put over there. I think in the first game he may have given up a sack to the, um, uh, to the Rams. But, uh, but some of the other sacks have come from Russell scrambling or stepping up in the pocket and it kind of messes up the angle of the – pass blocking but Dwayne Brown is a bona fide all pro football player and uh, I think maybe some of the narrative around here around you know Russell getting hit and people you, you know talking about it in in relation to the offensive line kind of kind of took some some shine off of his season and so then maybe he didn't get those pro bowl votes uh, but he is he is definitely a pro bowl snub and I don't know if he is the uh, I don't know if he is the most important player on on the offense, uh, but he is definitely 
uh, a heartbeat of that offense. You watch him after plays or when he's, when he's frustrated that they're not doing something or something didn't work right or whatever, you watch him go to the sideline, uh, he gets everybody's attention. And so uh, definitely a snub for the, for the, for the Pro Bowl. Uh, and I would say if, if I could have a 1 and a 1A for the most important person on mm-hmm. offense, I would say, uh, you know, other than Russell, I would say that uh, I would put DK at 1 and, and I would put uh, Dwayne Brown at 1A. Mm. Uh, Ray, how important or how big is it that this team can now call themselves NFC West champions? How much does that mean for this team, this season, what they've been through, and what it means for them going into the playoffs? Well, you know, Jake, like, you know, you've been around that organization with Pete, and you know the messaging that he delivers and you know they break the season down into four quarters and they try to win Mm -hmm. each quarter and then they want to get to the playoffs and then they want to win the division and so when you look at those those different things uh they've they've accomplished you know one of the two of their major goals which was they get in the playoffs and win the division and so anytime you know jake you're you're on like you know state championship football teams so you know anytime you win championships Man, that elevates the confidence. It elevates the uh, your attention to detail. And it elevates elevates your will, your perseverance, your grit, all those types of things. All that stuff that you need going into the playoffs, going into this this stretch where you're really you're in the show, you're in the tournament to get to the show, and you need all of that because it's the end of a, a difficult season. Uh, you know, physically and mentally, just going through all the testing they had to do, and the games moved, and not being able to see family, and all that kind of stuff. You're going to need all of that energy going into the playoffs. And I think by winning uh, the, the championship, it just kind of elevates all of that stuff that's inside you that you need. It just kind of gives it a little bit more, uh, a little bit more spice, a little bit more juice to it. And, you know, I, I didn't win any conference, you know, championships or anything in, in high in, uh, in the NFL. Uh, but, uh, you know, I can imagine, uh, you know, just what it may, must be like when you have that as a goal. You know, on your on your whiteboard, when you come into the locker rooms or wherever they place it, and to be able to go up there and check that off and say, you know, we did that. So I think it it just it just adds, it intensifies, and elevates all those things that you need to perform well in the playoffs. You know, Ray, not to brag, but you are talking to two standout high school athletes. Um, with with me, uh, finishing in tenth place. Tenth place ribbons, by the way. You don't want one of those. <laughs> A little bit of a difference. Well, well, I, I, I didn't. I didn't know your history like that, but I have seen you know some of the video posts of you. Like we don't need to talk about that. The hallway stuff. So. <laughs> Get away! Please, please do. Look, I don't excel on dry land. Thank That's you. not where my athleticism comes out. He is Ray Roberts. You can hear him every single week on the huddle with us. Uh, you can also hear him this weekend on the Seahawks pre and post game show. Don't miss him. Thanks so much, Ray. Hey, you guys are doing a great job, man. And uh, and the two of you guys have, have really grown a lot and, and, and are really doing a really good job. And so I really do appreciate coming on and you guys are giving me the opportunity. Oh, thanks, Ray. Love you, man. We love hearing from you, thanks, too. Thanks, Ray. See ya. Have a good one. All right. We're going to get a Seahawks player next, Jake. Rookie Alton Robinson joining us. This is The Huddle. This is the Huddle Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to 2, presented by Bickford Ford. The Huddle. Welcome back to the Huddle. Dave Wyman not here today. He'll be back 
uh, later on 710 ESPN with Wyman and Bob. So you can still hear him, but he'll be back on the huddle next week. Just Jake Heaps and myself, Stacey Rost. And Jake, Ray's, Ray, Ray's comeback about my high school sports career, that, that hurt my soul. Deep in my yeah, he, soul. He, he cut deep right there. And, <laughs> you know, did. the reason why it did cut deep is because it's he's not lying. Okay. He's well, not lying. anyways, <laughs> speaking of not lying, uh, Jamal Adams um, had uh, spoke for a podcast. Curtis, who was he on with? He's on Colin Cowherd. Colin Cowherd. Oh, okay. On, on with the herd with Colin Cowherd. He had two very, very interesting quotes. They're both a bit different. You guys are going to love both of them. So uh, we're going to talk about this. We're going to be joined uh, in a couple minutes by Alton Robinson. So Seahawks player joining us shortly. First, though, Jake, let's talk about this from Jamal Adams. First things you need to know is uh, Seahawks fans, Jamal thinks that y'all have been spoiled. Cut number one. We always you know, tell the guys over here that, hey, man, if, you, if you're a rookie or you've been here for – you know, your whole career, you're, you're really spoiled, right? And they spoil, they spoil the guys in, a, in the right way over here. They treat us how we're supposed to be treated. and um, they, But at the same time, they let us have fun. They let us be ourselves and, um, you know, just be unique in our own ways. And then, you know, come, come together as a team and, you know, chase championships. That's what it's about. Now, this obviously a glowing compliment from Adams, not anything bad. And, and he said when he made the playoffs in his press conference, I'm so excited. I'm not used to this feeling. I'm normally sending my cars home, which was a great flex. Um, I, I'm normally planning my vacation. I'm not thinking of, you know, going back in and studying game tape and getting ready for next week. This is an amazing feeling. And it was so awesome to hear someone say that because even though we all, you know, want to see you get back to the Super Bowl every year, it is something to be grateful for that every single year mm-hmm. we get to sit here and talk about a playoff game. But you know what I also really liked about this, Jake, is that he elaborated a bit more and he said they also spoil you as far as a player and the way they treat you here. How does it compare here in Seattle to maybe other places? Or what do you think he means by that? Well, it's just a very tangible difference. It doesn't mean that they pamper you. It doesn't mean that they, you know... Um, you know, create, you know, spoiled players, but in turn, they treat you the way that you have always wanted to be treated as a player, uh, a player who, uh, as you get coached and the vibe that's in the building, you get a vibe from the coaching staff that they are just as invested in you and your future as you are in yourself and that they believe in you and that they care about your progress. I mean, I'll never forget, you know, John Schneider, uh, he leaves, handwritten notes to every single player um, at a certain point in the offseason. Typically, that's when they break from OTAs and they head into training camp, but he writes a handwritten letter to every single player just telling them, you know, something positive about them. Like, hey, here, you know, you're doing mm-hmm. something, you're doing great. Uh, keep it going. And, and we believe in you. And I believe in you. And, and th- those are things that you just don't get, uh, you know, from, from everybody here in this league. And there's so many more other things. But let's get to Alton Robinson. We're going to get to Alton Robinson. Rookie Alton Robinson joining us right now on the huddle. Hello, Alton. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good, good. And just so I make sure, I, it's Alton, right? Yeah, Alton. Okay, I gotta, I gotta check myself. I keep saying Alton, Alton, Alton Robinson. You guys, um, Alton. This defense, I, I don't think I've seen, seen an in-season turnaround quite like this one. And you've been a part of that. Um, veterans have been a part of that. Uh, you've been able to get in there and boost that pass rush. What's the energy like right now for you guys? I would say the energy is just through the roof right now. You know, after the performance last week, you know that really kind of you know set the table for what. Is to be expected now. So I, I would say the energy is just up there because 
that simple fact. Now, uh, Alton, as you're looking at this this particular situation with your rookie year, and you are going through this rookie year, you are trying to figure things out, you're trying to develop, you're trying to find a niche and a role on this team, and you have come up with two sacks in the last two games. You you have definitely found yourself a role. You have four sacks this season, which would have led the team in sacks last year. How good are you feeling about the effort that you've been able to put together here in your first year as a pro? Um, I would say I'm happy but not satisfied you know I'm, it's always a good feeling you know to be able to get out there and contribute to the team but um in my eyes I think there's so much more to be had um so like I said I'm happy but not satisfied I'm, I'm anxious to see you know what's in store for the future Elton uh as far as the guys that have been in this defensive room who do you feel do you feel like uh Carlos Dunlap has taken time to talk to the younger guys I mean what's your relationship like with him or maybe some other guys specifically on that defensive line um, I would just say there's a tremendous amount of leadership um, from all the guys in the room, from Carlos to Benson to Jay Reed, uh, even some of the old, older than me guys, but not so like old within the grand scheme of things, like Kuna and LJ, uh, Rasheem as well. Pretty much everybody in the room, you know, there's always something to take from somebody. So I would say the the leadership is just for lack of better words, through the roof because, uh, you know, there's all these older guys that's been around so they can kind of, you know, help young guys like myself through certain things. So it's been very helpful. Alton, you, uh, coming out and preparing for the draft, you could have went anywhere in the country to train, and you decided to come to the Pacific Northwest and train at Ford Sports Performance. Uh, why did you come to the Northwest to train? And while you were training here, you got the opportunity to work with Cliff Averill. Did that give you – uh, an excitement to hopefully get placed here in Seattle, uh, get picked here in Seattle, so that you you know have some of that familiarity with Cliff. Uh, what was what was that decision making process like, and um, has that led? Do you think that's helped you with this transition into your rookie year playing here in Seattle? Um. Well, I first heard about Tracy's spot about two years ago from Zaire Franklin, and then Eric Dungey, my quarterback, my linebacker which was my roommate, and then my quarterback my junior year came and trained up at Tracy. So I already had it my mind made up that I was coming out here. But once I got out here, um, I wasn't too familiar with the area. I would say that it definitely helped me in my like progression of knowing the city. Um, and then on top of working out with Cliff, uh, I didn't know I was going to be a Seahawk at that time. You know, it definitely raised my ears a little bit to know that I'm working with, you know, a guy that everybody around here loves and Cliff uh, – so I don't know how I ended up being a Seahawk. I, if it was, my guess is that there was something there between Cliff and Tracy and everybody, but I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble saying that, but I don't know. So. <laughs> no, well, no. whatever it was, man, we're we're happy you're here. We're we're certainly happy you're we here. We are, but Alton, I think it was. I think it was even more than that. I mean, I'm sure you've already been told this um, because this goes all the way back to the draft. But um, in the final. Uh, day of the draft, Pete Carroll and John Schneider do their draft press conference, and I think Pete Carroll said that uh, you were one of his favorite players to get because he couldn't believe that they had a shot at getting you when they did. He it surprised him, and he was kind of feeling like, "Oh, we got like the steal of the draft here," and that seemed like the consensus. Do you do you feel like you uh, have? I mean, a chip on your shoulder sounds like such an outdated or just you know like a basic thing to say but is that really the feeling you have being like oh you guys slept on me 
Uh, you know, originally, yes, but through conversation, I learned that, uh, that it's not really about that. Like, you know what I mean? As long as I got my foot through the door, that's what really matters. Cause, um, throughout the combine process, actually my group leader was John Randall and, uh, I don't think he was drafted. So, and he turned out to be a hall of famer and I'm actually looking at his name right here behind me on the wall. So I just, I just knew that, you know, as long as I keep my chin in my chest, uh, somebody's going to know something at the end of the day whenever I'm done playing. So that's my goal. Well, well, Alton, we've been very, very happy you're here as a Seahawk, and it's been awesome to watch you grow and develop. Uh, what, what is, what is an area in which you feel like you can improve on? You, you know, there's always areas that you can improve on. You talk about, you know, you, you, you're hoping for more in store, and and we as Seahawks fans obviously love to hear that. Want to want to see you continue to grow and develop and become your best version. Uh, but what is what is an area that you've learned through this year that you feel like you can continue to keep improving upon? Um, I would say, you know, I just want to be bigger, faster, stronger, and then more knowledgeable of the game. And I feel like that'll help me be a well-rounded player throughout, you know, my career. But I'd say one thing that's sticking out is like, uh, just like pad level and footwork, um, as far as, you know, playing other different techniques that I'm not accustomed to than when I was in college. So, cause there's a lot of muscle memory there yeah. that I'm trying to break through. So, well, I think we- those, uh, we have full faith you can you can do that. You've been so fun to watch. We really appreciate you taking the time, Alton. Have a happy new year and and best of luck uh, this upcoming week against the 49ers. We'll be rooting for you. Thank you, guys. Happy New Year to you, too. Bye. That was Seahawks defensive end, rookie defensive end, Alton Robinson. Uh, Pete Carroll speaking with reporters in just a couple minutes. We'll take you there next. This is The Huddle, presented by Bickford Ford, every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Pete Carroll speaking with reporters. We'll take you there right now. Hey, Pete, I was just wondering, regarding the 49ers defense, if you could talk about what Fred Warner does for that defense. He's a great player. He's the leader, it seems, and and, uh, he's everywhere in the run and the passing game. He's a really good blitzer. He uh, makes big plays. You know, he comes through. But he's a really good football player, and he's, I think they, they, they got about everything you could hope for in, the, in their middle linebacker. Jen? Hugo mentioned earlier in the year that during the offseason he worked with a number of wide receivers. He also mentioned George Kittle in particular. I'm wondering how you've seen Hugo adapt to different guys that he's had to cover this year. Yeah, he's been, he's been matching up well, and... Uh, you know, he really knows how we're playing the different coverages and the techniques and stuff so that he, he mixes his looks really well. He's hard to figure out. He's a good disguiser in terms of pressure and all of that. Uh, he, he's not had trouble with the taller guys or the, the smaller guys, so he's doing good. And, and uh, he he's just has banked on his experience, and he's learned a lot in, in a short time. Corbin? Hey, Pete, it seems like nobody's benefited more from Carlos Dunlap's arrival than Jaron Reed. He's had 24 pressures the last seven games, 12 quarterback hits. How specifically does having that premier proven edge guy help a rusher from the three-tech, one-tech role? And what have you seen specifically from Reed the last few games that's allowed him to have the success? Well, I think in about a seven-game span, it can get you a chance to get maybe 22, 23, 24 pressures, you know. I think it could... Uh, <laughs> Um, 
It totally, yeah, thanks. It totally helps them. You know, I mean, just just the factor of the push just makes the spacing more available. You know, and, and makes the the quarterback have to move a little bit more, and all of those things help the other guys. And so um, he's been a big factor, and it's not just. You know, just the rushes that he brings. It's really the the difference, uh, the the breakdown of the you know the pocket for the other guys. And, and Jay Reed has has had a, a really good um, run from, from that. And and it, that's a lot of the responsibility is, is could be put back on the you know what Carlos is bringing. I was also wondering if you could provide an update on Marquise Blair. It's been a few months now since his injury. What's it looking like for him potentially yeah. being back for the offseason program? Yeah, I haven't seen him in about ten days now, but his spirits are good. He's working really hard. Um, he's doing great. He's doing great on his recovery, and there's not going to be any problems with him getting back, as far as what, everything I, I've heard. Um, his spirit. The thing I like about it is his spirit is really p- positive and upbeat about returning. So he's working real hard at it. Thanks for asking, Matt. Hey Pete, I feel like guys like Jamal Adams, Carlos Dunlop um, have kind of taken over the headlines defensively over the past few weeks. But Bobby Wagner, once again, put together a Pro Bowl season, leading the team in tackles. I'm just wondering what you can say about his consistency and his, his contributions this year. What yeah, I think Bobby's done a great job of being in the center of it and, and keeping everybody's heads in, in line and, and really helping us. You know, set the kind of the style of, of play and the tempo of learning and, and practice and all. Bobby's such a great practice player uh, and, and so intent on doing everything right that he just sends a great message because he is the voice of the group. So, as you know, we guys have come and gone and then, then they've come back to us. Um, you know, he, he and KJ uh, really in Digsy, they've really been the steadies, you know, keeping everything connected. So, Bobby's a great football player and he continues to have, you know, huge impact and, and, uh, you know, his numbers just haven't dropped off at all, and he continues to be such a big factor for us in so many ways other than just the tackles that he makes. Bob? Um, yeah, Pete, uh, what is it about D.J. Reed that's allowed him to make the transition to playing on the outside as well as he have? It, it, it seemed like most of his experience maybe coming to you guys was more inside and safety and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, he, he's got great awareness. He's got great quickness. Um, I mean, he's got you know world-class quick feet in, in, in and you put that with uh, the awareness and the savvy that he has, he, he can get to places. He can stick to guys. He can. He's got a, a knack for making plays. He's got a, a, you know, really good hand-eye coordination and the timing on the ball and all that. So he, he makes himself available for playmaking. So he's got a lot of great attributes. He's in. in he's just a, a different package guy than we've had, you know, and, and but uh, he's a ball player. And, I mean, all of us have seen it. We've seen in the kick returns. We've seen everything that he's done in special teams and all of that. He just makes good decisions and good choices. He, he gets it. Uh, he's really bright. And, you know, so he's all, all of those are just, you know, you check all the boxes there. And is there still any uh, chance of uh, Philip Dorsett um, coming back at all or any update on him? Um, I don't think Philip's going to make it, you know, I hate to cut him, cut him out of you know if we were fortunate to be playing a month from now, but um, he's working hard. I, I saw him working again today in, in the weight room. He's busting it. He's doing a lot of good stuff, but it's going to be a haul for him to make it back. Joe, back to DJ Reed. No front office is, is ever going to hit or bat a thousand, whether it's draft picks, free agents, whatever. But with that, how important is it to get lucky on occasion in something like this where a guy falls in your lap, but then also, you know, you didn't project him to be an outside corner and now he's kind of turned into, you know, a great option for you. Is that a part of, you know, some good fortune along the way with, that comes with 
trying to get to a Super Bowl. If I don't address this, then I'll just have to accept the fact that you that we're just lucky on this one. I don't think this was luck. I think John knew. John, John had it, and John and his guys that do the evaluations, they knew that he was a good enough football player to play nickel, safety, or corner. They, that's what came right in from the the first day we were talking about him. So. I think he's. I think his the quickness of his transition is what we're really surprised by. How easy it was for him to learn and to and to jump in. Um, but we, you know, they, our guys thought he was going to be a big factor for us. And and uh, you know, think about it. Um, you know, we we've hit some of these guys, and, and and we've done a nice job of finding guys that can help us in this kind of situation. Whether we have to draft, uh, trade for him or, or or you know claim him. And I think it's. I think it's way more than luck. I think it's the the ability to discern and figure it out and and know who's coaching them and the style and all that kind of stuff. And John's put all that together again, you know, in another situation. Sorry, that might be on me. For some reason, last week or a week ago, you mentioned that you didn't view him as an outside corner when when you first got him. No, Um, but I didn't. John did. That's important. Yeah. So we work together, and he helps me out sometimes when I make mistakes. And uh, fortunately, he you know he. As it started to happen, we saw some opportunities for him to play. You know, we got the conversation going, and I said, "Sure enough, let's try him." You know, and, and uh, there was no question that he could factor in. So that was the only problems there were my shortcomings. Seahawks play-by-play man Steve Rabel joins us next on the Huddle. This is the Huddle, presented by Bickford Ford, every Thursday from noon to two on seven ten ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into the Huddle, Jake Heaps and Stacy Ross today. No Dave Wyman. Uh, and talking to us right now, voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel. Raves, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Dave, a person we thought was our friend, uh, currently too big time for us, too famous, uh, wouldn't, couldn't make the huddle today, uh, so you just have me and Jake. So thanks for not forgetting the little guys, Raves. Yeah, I appreciate well, uh, it. now that I hear Dave's not here, listen, I've got some other things I really have to do, so <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to run. Uh, no, I thought you would no. love it. Oh Dave no! Is a, Dave is a, Dave is a huge uh, huge guy in in uh, local te- uh, local radio and TV, and so you know I mean we're we're just lucky when I guess the few moments yeah. that we get to share with him <laughs> when he blesses us with his presence. That's right. That's I right. can't wait to give him a hard time the next time I see him. And just for anyone wondering, Dave uh, will be back with us um, next week. He's just out for today's huddle. Um, Rabes, looking at this upcoming matchup, I know that the Seahawks do not plan on resting any starters. They're going all out for it. And I understand why they are, because the number one seed still technically up for grabs. Um, does any part of that make you nervous, or do you agree with that approach? I agree. Yeah. Uh, I do. I, I think, you know, I mean, this is you're prepared to play – 16 regular season games. Yes, injury can happen anytime, and that's just a part of the game. And, and you hope it doesn't. These guys are, are, you know, they're finely tuned athletes, and, and things happen. But I, I think what's much more important for this club is, and I, Pete said it, has said it a couple of times. I know he said it on Monday morning uh, or Monday afternoon, and that was, you know, we got something going right now on defense. And so you want to continue. You want to keep playing. Uh, you want to go out there and, and see if you can hold another team under 20 points uh, and, and just keep rolling right through your division. Listen, 12 wins is, hey, it's a bigger deal than 11 wins. And you still, like I say, you still have that opportunity to be the number one seed. What's really going to be interesting is that we can't be scoreboard watching uh, because those two games – take place at the same time we're playing. So it's not like we can look up and see, oh, that one's over. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, we'll all be playing right down to the very end. 
to see who's going to be in those slots. So, no, I, I think you go out there and you keep playing and uh, you play hard and, and, and keep it rolling. Uh, Raves, how big – you've been with this team <clears> – <throat> for a long time and I've seen this franchise go through its ups and downs to be able to recapture the NFC West since 2016 how big of a deal is it and how big of a deal was it was it for the Seahawks to be able to do it against this Rams team oh, I, I think it's huge you know you you kind of sometimes you take for granted when you've been in the playoffs a lot now fans do I'm, I'm sure some fans do that you know now if we're not in the playoffs every year oh it's 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 a it's an awful season to think about getting rid of the quarterback or the coach or whatever. Um, I, I think that, that the play this year by this team, considering all they've had to overcome, and, and listen, every team has to, had to overcome COVID, and I'm looking at the team we're going to play on Sunday, the 49ers, and I'm, I'm going through my spotting board from the last game. And I can't tell you how many crossed-out players there are. There are so many. So injuries just decimate teams, and, and I get all that. But this team has held together uh, through leadership of the players, through the leadership of Pete Carroll, and through the, the structuring of the team by John Schneider and his staff. And, and here they are winning the NFC West. And, you know, you, you just you can't say enough about hanging another one of those banners. I, I think somebody was, one of the players was talking last week perhaps, looking up in the rafters there at the VMAC, and then we'll look up in the rafters at CenturyLink whenever we can get down, or not CenturyLink, Lumen Field, when we can get down to the field and look up in the rafters and see 2020 NFC West champs. So that's, that's a really big deal. Yeah, you get you get a home game, although we won't have fans in the stands, but it'll still be here at the at the home field where the Seahawks have played really well, especially here down this stretch. So I, I, you never look a gift horse in the mouth. A title is a title. The Seahawks earned it. They played hard. They won it over the Rams, no less. Uh, and let's see if this is kind of a turning point now back to the Seahawks being on top of this division uh, with all the young guys we have. Now, I'm plenty nervous about how the team would look uh, should they play Aaron Rodgers and Lambeau. I mean, that's just not been easy for anyone this year. There's a reason he's leading the MVP conversation. But for some reason, Rabes, after that Rams game, I feel like I just felt more confident, and part of this was with Jake, that this team could really hang with anyone. Like, they still have questions, still some questions on either side of the ball, but I feel like they proved a ton in the final stretch. Well, and you know what, when you look at this team, and, and granted, uh, Jared Goff is certainly not Aaron Rodgers uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is, is such a special talent, uh, and so and he, he's tough to beat anywhere. Road, home, neutral site, out in the street, he'd be tough to beat. That said, as well as our defense played uh, against the Rams uh, and to hold him to three field goals this last Sunday, Think of what the offense did. They went out against the number one defense, and they went toe-to-toe through the first half, made their adjustments, came back out, put it in Russ's hands. He makes a couple of big plays. He gets some help, obviously, from David Moore. Hollister makes a big catch. Some big first-down receptions by DK and, and the rest of the guys. Carson runs hard. That offense pounded out that victory in the second half. It's something they didn't do against the Giants. But they did come out in the second half against the Rams, the best defense in the game, and pound out that win. So 
listen, I, 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 when you put both those sides of the ball together, the way our defense is, is playing now and guys are getting healthy or healthier, and on offense, uh, you got Greg Olson back. Carson is now running full speed. If we can get the offensive line feeling just a little bit better, maybe you get your potty back out there. Uh, I, this 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 team can go a long way. And listen, we've played in Green Bay a lot, and we played there in cold weather. We were there a year ago, and played the Packers a really close game in a frigid Lambeau Field. So, you know, they're not unbeatable back there. It it would be tough, but let's we'll take one at a time and think of the Forty ers first. Yeah, Rabes, what is something that you would like to see this team build upon from that moment? You talked about that second half. I've been preaching about it uh, all week, Rabes, that that uh, people need to stop focusing on the negative and stop really trying to continue to spin this narrative that this offense and Russell Wilson are, are struggling. But what would you love to see them build upon here in Week 16 against the 49ers? I'd like to uh, see continued growth in the running game. Uh, you know, it's been a little up and down. We still haven't had, I mean, we had a, a couple of big running games here uh, in total, but, you know, with Chris Carson being hurt, with Carlos Hyde uh, being out, uh, and Penny just coming back in the last couple of weeks, now you got all those guys back. And that's why I say, I think it, I think it, uh, it, it lands up front. Uh, I, Dave made a couple of jokes about it during the course of the game. Uh, but I kept saying, let's just hit him. Let's just hit him hard and hit him quick. Just turn, hand the ball off, give it to Chris, either here or, or Carlos, and let them just go right straight upfield. Run right at him. Uh, sometimes the, the Rams, you know, would have a run blitz going, and they run right past the gap where Chris was going. And he it seemed like the best and biggest yardage he picked up was straight ahead, quick hitters. I'd like to see a little more of that. I'd like now. I know you can't do it every time. I know you have to. You know you have to keep the defense off off guard. Yeah, but until they stop it, let's go. Keep doing it, and then your play action pass works so much better off of that. Play fake. Get Fred Warner to step up in the, in the in the hole there and try to uh, plug the run and throw right in behind him. Throw a little seam route into Greg Olson in the middle of the field. Let him run for twenty yards. I'd like to see the offense. Pick it up there, starting with the run. I think we can be more efficient that way. Rabes, I'm going to pit you on the spot for our last question here. Just a quick prediction, score prediction for this game. Oh, I, I think um, I, I think it's not going to be easy. It never is against uh, the Niners. Um, uh, it's on a neutral field down in Arizona, so I don't think that's going to benefit anybody. Uh, but I, I, I think the Seahawks should take care of business. This this 49ers team, their game. They, listen, they beat the, the Cardinals last weekend, and the Cardinals you know, were hanging on there. They're still playing for a playoff spot, even this week. And the 49ers went out there and played a heck of a game. Bethard is not to be messed with. Uh, you know, he, he can throw the football. He's got a lot of people on his offensive side who will be standing in street clothes. And for that reason, I think we should beat these guys. I think our defense should hold them to under 20 points, and I think we need to be able to run the ball well against the defense uh, in the 49ers. That's, that's pretty stout, but I think we win the game. All right. He is the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel, uh, joining us every weekday or every Thursday for the Huddle, special Wednesday edition today, normally with Dave Wyman here. We'll, we'll give him your best, Rabes. Yeah, and, and every weekday. You're not paying me enough to be here every weekday. <laughs> I can tell you we that. We wish right you now. were.
<laughs> no, no that's right. why I retired, so I don't have to do anything every week. That's fair. That's fair. Happy New Year. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, guys. We'll see you. All right. Honestly, Steve Rabel, by the way, CX play-by-play man there with us. And Steve said it best, Jake. This isn't going to be an easy one. 49ers, a six-win team. They sure aren't playing like it. They didn't last week. So the Seahawks need to stick to a blueprint. But what is that blueprint? What are those keys? We'll get to that next. This is The Huddle, presented by Bickford Ford, every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to The Huddle. Jake Heap, Stacey Ross here with you. We end every single huddle by talking about the blueprint, our keys, to beating that week's opponent. This week it's going to be the 49ers. Um, Jake, you mentioned it earlier. This team uh, has six wins, and they are not playing like a six-win team. Last week against the Cardinals upset them. Incredibly physical game, despite the fact that they weren't playing for a playoff spot. They knew they were out of it. If anything, you're worsening your draft stock, and they went full out 183 yards from Jeff Wilson, a career day for him. He did not face the Seahawks last time these two teams met, which is why the first part of my blueprint, Jake, is to stop the run. I know everyone is looking at the 49ers offense and they're saying, oh man, they are short so many weapons, including their starting quarterback. You're going to be going against the third string quarterback, C.J. Beathard. Well, San Francisco's offense is kind of set up in a way that offsets uh, some mistakes from the quarterback, right? It isn't a, an offense that is mm-hmm. completely reliant on Jimmy G making plays all the time, which is why it doesn't really matter that much if C.J. Beathard is out there if the offensive line plays really well and if George Kittle has a great day. Uh, he returned last week, uh, put up almost 100 yards, and importantly, if Jeff Wilson runs all over the place. That was their blueprint uh, to beating teams earlier this year. You have to be just as stout against the run as you've been in your best performances this year. It is so important for the defense. It's going to be up to that defensive line. Guys like Puna Ford, guys like K.J. Wright, um, they have to duplicate that performance this week against the 49ers. Yeah, I would fully agree with you on that, Stacey, because that is really – when you talk about this offense, they are one-dimensional coming into this game, but they are it, it, they are dime- one-dimensional in the area that they excel at the most. Yeah. Kyle Shanahan is very comfortable riding out a game, calling uh, uh, you know a run-heavy attack, and he is very dynamic. It is very rare to be able to call an offensive coordinator dynamic when they are so run-centric. But that that's what Kyle Shanahan is able to do. Uh, they got Kyle's use check who is a fullback that they can do a lot of different things with. Uh, line him up as a tight end, line him up as a fullback, line him out, out as a receiver. They can create a lot of different mismatches in terms of their running schemes along with George Kittle. So uh, that's got to be priority number one for uh, the Seahawks. And they don't really have big playmakers that can beat them over the top or that they should be fearful of. You know, Debo Samuel, don't have him on the jet sweeps or, or, or you know, get, getting out on the edge. You don't have Brandon Ayuk. You know, those are your two dynamic playmakers at the ball in their hands so this allows the Seahawks to be very aggressive in the way that they can play defensively for me the key to the game Stacey is going to be to start fast Mm. yes it'll be start fast defensively but more so offensively remember the last time around for the Seahawks, they actually had two series versus the 49ers that were just basically duds. Uh, they were they were three and outs they didn't look good they looked discombobulated uh, they were able to they got Russell Wilson sacked. It just wasn't clean. And then from that point forward, this offense exploded. And Russell Wilson, uh, in particular, had a day. 
27 to 37, 261 yards, four touchdowns, made it look like he was just another day at the office. Didn't do anything spectacular, but just made great decisions. Got the ball out to DK, uh, got the ball out to Tyler in, in, in good good moments, was able to distribute the football. Um, and, and I want to see that from this offense uh, this upcoming game, for them to start fast, for them to be in control early. And this is a great championship mindset opportunity. Now the reason why I say that, the 49ers are 6 and 9 Stacy, mm-hmm. but as you mentioned, they play hard. They play physical. And this is a great chance a little bit of a technical issue right here. We'll get Jake back in just one second. Um I'm going to go ahead and advance to the second one. Both Jake and I were talking about this, so I'll let you guys know uh while we get Jake connected once again to the huddle um our third blueprint our third key to a blueprint and a win for the seattle seahawks much like jake was saying you got to start out fast well you can't play down either jake you want to go ahead and finish up what you were saying about starting out quickly you were saying they're a six yeah, that's win like, team <laughs> it's like uh, being connected to the phone and then disconnecting yeah, yeah, yeah. and then talking for like 20 more minutes i was on a roll stacy and then i was like wait what i could uh, see I'm you on the camera you were still going and i was like i'm just now he thinks i'm talking over him I I fully did. I was like, wow, that's incredibly rude. Um, (laughs) But uh, six and nine, uh, six and nine for this team, for the 49ers, they don't play that like that. They come out trying to swing and give you their absolute best shot from the beginning. And they hope that their punches can land like the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals allowed them to hang in there in that game, Mm -hmm. build confidence. And that game became a lot tougher than what it needed to be. And for the Seahawks, I don't want to see them mess around with this 49ers group. Come in, ready to go, ready to send a, a... ready to make a statement from the very get-go and get started fast on both offense, on both sides of the ball. That, to me, is I believe will be the key to this game and will allow the Seahawks to be, a, be able to have a comfortable uh, Week 16 victory. Now, my second key, my second part of my blueprint to a win is very related to yours. It's kind of like the brother of that point, the older, cooler brother, um, and that is that you cannot play down. And what I mean by that is be just as sharp against this defense. I I kind of want this offense to take some shots it might not normally take. I know that's not really in their nature um, to to not protect the football and to throw it all over the place. But I, I wouldn't mind seeing it. And as much as I say that, I also want them to be very, very aware, and they are, uh, how good this defense is. I know that they're missing a couple stars, but they are still the number 5 overall defense. They're great against the run, allowing just over uh, 105 yards. Great against the pass. Uh, they're fourth overall against the pass. Um, they're about middle of the road in points per game, but they will take advantage of you. They have um, obviously some some guys in pretty much all three levels of their defense that are out, um, but they've still got playmakers. Uh, they've got uh, Williams, who I think is their their nickel guy, a guy in the slot who's really great. Uh, Jason Verrett, who's dealt with health issues, so he's a little bit under the radar. He's been really good for them. Uh, Hyder, a name fans aren't as familiar with, Kerry Hyder, he's leading the team in sacks with just one less than Jamal Adams has this year. They've got playmakers, and that doesn't even mention Fred Warner. Uh, yes, uh, and and so when you talk about this group, this is not a group that has 
been injured. Their offense is very, very much injury-ridden coming into this game. But their defense, they've dealt with these injuries. They've weathered the storm with these injuries. And this is a group that they've been playing with over the last um, you know, five, six weeks. We'll still wait to hear what Jimmy Ward, uh, his availability is like. He's going through concussion protocol. Uh, Javon Kinlaw, uh, Nick Wagoner, uh, was on with us telling us about how Kinlaw did not play. That would be a huge loss for the 49ers defense if he was not able to play in the interior of that defensive line. Uh, but overall, I think this is a great opportunity for your offense to continue to keep building, uh, continue to have all the feels, all the confidence in the world going in, heading into the playoffs, and giving yourself the best chance to possibly get the number one seed or to improve your seat, seating to at least the two seed. Now that's our blueprint for the game, Jake. What kind of game are we expecting? Jake, you go first. The game that I'm expecting, I'm expecting this to be, and quite honestly, I'm expecting this to be a a probably a 24 to 27 to okay. nine type of game. I, I think that the oh. Seahawks are going to pull the way. I think that this game, I think that they are going to be able to be in control, um, and they're going to be able to uh, do what they do what they want offensively. Um, I think they're going to be able to have their way. I think you're going to see some of those big explosive plays again. Um, but I, I want to see this offense and Russell Wilson playing that point guard role, continuing to get them in the best positions, hand the ball off to Chris Carson and let him, letting him be effective, distributing to uh, you know all sorts of different receivers and moving the chains, getting completions. Um, so that's, that's really the type of game that I expect. And the reason why is because this defense continues to play dominant at football, they continue to limit the 49ers, who are really as an offense uh, coming into this game struggling. If this this defense, as they showed, if they're truly that dominant and they can hold the Rams to nine points, they certainly can keep the 49ers under ten points as well. Now, as good as I said, this defense was despite all of their injuries. I'm thinking and, and hoping, but thinking also that the Seahawks end the season just a little bit of a capstone to it. Jake getting right back above thirty points. Um, they've played really, really tough defenses. They are capable of being a high scoring unit, and I think they do it again. I think they get to like thirty one this week against the 49ers. Um, uh, in my prediction for the game uh, over on uh, on Cairo, I said that it was 31-21, but I'm not entirely confident the 49ers score 21 on this defense with no the group they have. No way. It felt right when I said no 31-21. It felt like a nice a nice 10-point difference in my brain, but maybe it'll be 31-7. Who knows? Who knows? All right. That has been the huddle. Dave Wyman will uh, be back next week. Uh, this has been Jake Heaps and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle.